Good morning. It is humbling and exciting to address you as pastor of First Baptist Church Bristow. And it is, oh, you better get that out of the way. It's exciting to see where God is going to take us. It's exciting for uh, the, the days ahead and how God is going to move us. And it's exciting to know that God is still in Bristow, that he is still about the work of his people, and he is still in the saving business. And so it's good to be here this morning. It's good to be in this pulpit this morning. And I'm excited about the days ahead. I've been asking, seeking knowledge and wisdom from uh, mentors in my life, from uh, individuals who have been here before, who have done this before. And uh, it's, it's ranged from, you know, really deep spiritual moving stuff um, to stuff like, hey, just don't get fired in the first six months kind of deal, all right? And so uh, it's, been, it's been good. It's been an exciting week. Um, it's been a week full of ministry already. But one thing that is for certain is that God has begun to pour in His Word. And starting beginning this morning, I would like to lay the groundwork and give a backdrop for the coming weeks. We'll set the foundation this week and we'll dive in next week with a five-week series on rebuilding the church based out of Ezra and Nehemiah. We'll discuss rebuilding the altar and rebuilding the temple, and then rebuilding the walls, where we will look at the different walls that we will need to rebuild in order to move forward. I strongly encourage you to be here for the next five weeks. This vision is going to be developed, and it's going to be laid out for our church over the course of the next five weeks and the following. At the end of that five weeks, through prayer, And the Lord's direction, we will have a game plan for what the next steps are and where the Lord is going to be taking us. This would be the time to invite your friends who need a church home and invite those who have stepped away from FBC to come back home. The future holds great things as far as the gospel is concerned, but there are some things that we must take care of here first before we go outside these walls. So I'm praying that with an open heart, with a prayerful heart, that you will approach this next six weeks with humility, with openness, with reception. And I'm praying that at the end of it, we can look and we can glorify God for not only the great things He has done, but the great things that He will do. That's my prayer and that's my hope. Is that when all of this is said and done, that the name of First Baptist Church Bristow is not lifted high. That the name of DJ Carney is not lifted high. But that the name of Jesus is exalted above all else. And that He alone stands as the reason. He alone stands as the purpose. He alone stands as the one true Savior and King. And so as we dive into 
Ezra and Nehemiah over the next five weeks, I pray that you would be open to receiving. I know it's out of the Old Testament, and some of you guys are already thinking, gosh, first sermon and he's going Old Testament on us already. Just wait, there's more. Okay? I'd ask you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Chronicles in chapter 36. As we lay the groundwork for the next five weeks, it's important for us to understand the context of Ezra and Nehemiah. To understand exactly where they're coming from, what's going on, what's happening. Because it's vitally important for us as we move forward to take a look, to see, and to understand a few things. So take your Bible and turn to 2 Chronicles 36. We begin in chapter 36 there, describing a few of the kings. Josiah was killed in battle. One of the youngest kings to ever sit on the throne of Israel. And we see a following of different kings who were appointed and who did not follow the ways of the Lord. And it brings us to verse 11. And I want to start there and I want to read just a few verses so that we can understand what's happening. Zedekiah. That's a cool name, right? Zedekiah. Anybody here thinking about baby names? Zedekiah. Strongly suggested. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. But he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who had made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. And all the officers of the priest and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful following all the abominations of the nations around them. And they polluted the house of the Lord that He had made holy in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by His messengers because He had compassion on them and on His dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising His words and scoffing at His prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against His people until there was no remedy. Let's pray together. Father, I'm praying that as we begin to look ahead, as we begin to seek out Your direction and vision, that You would be among us, that You would be over us, that You would be in us. God, I'm praying that You would speak mightily to us, to my heart and those here. God, I pray that You would Allow us to see what you have before us. God, I pray that we would be found faithful to follow. Faithful to listen to the words that you give us. God, I pray that above all else you get glory in it. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. So the Israelites, the Hebrew children, God's chosen people, are doing what they normally do. In 2 Chronicles 36. If you've been around Scripture long enough, if you've read the Old Testament enough times, you see that God's people have a horrible way of forgetting about God. 
They find comfort. They find peace. They find satisfaction in everything that is around them. And they forget on a regular basis the God of Jacob. They forget on a regular basis the One who provided when there was no provision to be had. They forget on a regular basis the One who delivered when there was no deliverance to be had. They forget about the Creator. The One who sustained them. The holy and righteous God who appeared to them many times. Pillars of fire by day and, or by night and pillars of wind by day. They've seen what God can do, and yet, time and time again, we read Scriptures like 2 Chronicles 36. But they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And I looked at that and I thought, as, as the Lord was leading me to this Scripture, as He's beginning to prepare us for Ezra and Nehemiah, I thought about this, and I look at our culture and I look at our society, but I also look within our own churches, and I see a lot of the same characteristics. We often forget who God is. We often forget what God has done. I want to say something to you that we have that the people of Israel did not. We had the Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, it would be okay for us to kind of align ourselves with them in the way of, yeah, we've seen God do great things and we've seen, you know, uh, we've seen pretty incredible things, how He provides, how He answers prayer, how He moves, how He does things. We've seen that. And we would be right along with them, but they had not seen the person of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ like we have. And if there was ever something that would drive us to be absolute, 100% followers of God, I believe that it should be a resurrected body that cannot be found. I believe that it should be the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who speaks to us daily, who gave Himself on a cross for us many years ago, but not only did that, went to the grave, fought hell, fought death, fought the grave, and rose victorious so that you and I would have eternal life. You see, the people of Israel did not have that. And they turned against the Lord. But you and I do have. And yet, we turn against the Lord. Now, understand that the people of Israel, they didn't just blatantly say, forget God and move on. No, what they did was, is they began to incorporate all the evil of this world into their relationship with God. They began to take the temple of God, as we see in the Scripture, and they polluted it with the gods of this world. They polluted it with the pagan beliefs. They polluted it with all of the other gods. They polluted it with unrighteousness. They defiled the temple of God with the ways of the world. Oh, how I would look at our church today. Our church 
and the church universal, and I would look and I would see that there have been pollutions of the world within this place of God. There has been insertions of the world in the people of God. Far too long we have given ourselves over to the ways of the world rather than following the ways of God. And all in the name of that very same God. It's time that we changed. It's time that we took a new direction. It's time that we became people of the book once again. It's time that we laid aside everything that is of the world and that we followed wholeheartedly after Jesus. It's time that we grab that old song. The world behind me and the cross before me. Still I will follow. It's time that we became the people of God again. And that is what we find happen in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. We find the people of God coming back to God and becoming His people once again. And as we go through this in the next few weeks, I pray that we would do the same. I pray that we would become the people of God once again. That we would not just be First Baptist Church of Bristow. That we would not just be another building in a community. But that we would become the people of God once again. There's a couple things that we need to do before we get there. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. The first thing that we must do is we must embrace the correction. We must embrace the correction. I don't know if any of you in here suffer from the same thing that I do, but it is hard to be told when you've done something wrong. Amen? Amen. A lot of amen from the back. A lot of wrongdoing. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it's hard to hear that maybe we've been doing something not as we should be. And I understand that. And trust me, as we go through the next six weeks, there's going to be moments where you feel like, where I feel like, God, are you just beating us up right now? God, why, why does this feel so bad? Why do I feel so grieved about this? We need to understand that correction is part of what God does. Correction is part of how He operates. It's the same way you would do with your children, I hope. If your children doesn't do something that they're supposed to, you correct them. If your child tells you that 2 plus 2 is 8,048, you correct them. If your child talks back to you, you correct them. In the same way, God would want to correct us. Now, lucky for you and I, 
I don't believe that God's going to correct us in the same manner that He did His people in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. Let's read verse 20. 2 Chronicles 36, 20. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia. This is bad. The people of God turned away too many times, and so God rose up the king of the Chaldeans, the king of Persia, and inspired him to go and take over. And the king went and he fought against Judah and Jerusalem. He fought against the Israelites. And he slayed many. And anybody that survived, he took into exile in Babylon. And he said, you shall come and be servants here. And I will leave a remnant there. Gosh. Jerusalem. Sieged and then burned. The people of God. Back. Into slavery. You and I, I don't believe, have to fear that. I don't believe that there's a massive attack coming on First Baptist Church Bristow that will burn this place down and will take you and I prisoner. be kind of crazy if it happened. I don't believe that we are going to suffer the same consequence, but I also believe this, that we are in a far dire place than they. Because you and I battle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. See, your and I battle is not one of physical nature like it was with the Israelite children. Yours and I is one of spiritual nature. There are souls on the line. And I believe that in the church, God has allowed the same thing to happen. I believe that the kings of the world... Media, alcohol, pornography, adultery. All of these things have come and have laid siege to what is God's and it has taken God's people and held them captive. And so we must embrace correction. It's going to hurt. Getting over sin, fighting against the things that we cannot see hurts. It's going to be difficult. We see how Ezra and Nehemiah, they had to plead with, and eventually Cyrus, the king of Persia, would release them back to Jerusalem to rebuild. But out of that, we also see Daniel. Daniel was taken to Babylon. And he had to be there. Away from anybody he knew, except those few young men around him. Struggling. I'd say that being thrown in a lion's den was difficult. 
you and I are going to face challenges as we embrace correction. As we seek out the sin in our own life, as we seek out new ways of seeing how the gospel can go forth, as we seek out new ways of seeing how God would be worshipped here, correction is going to be difficult, but we must embrace it. Second, we must embrace the change. Turn over to Ezra chapter 1. Verses 2 through 4 say this. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, all of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem, and let each survivor in whatever place he travels be assisted by the men of this place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Something happens here as Cyrus takes over, God speaks through Jeremiah the prophet. And Cyrus says, go back and build Jerusalem. I believe the world is desiring for the church to be the church again. I believe that there is a hunger and a cry and a thirst in the wilderness right now that is the world. And they are seeking someone to stand up and say, Jesus loves you and is the answer. Jesus is the one who can come into your life and change your eternity. They are begging. I believe there has never been a greater time, even including in the first church in Acts, there has never been a greater time to see the harvest of the gospel. People are longing and desiring for something, and we have the answer. But we must embrace the change. Everyone had to go back. I love when it goes down to verse 5. Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. Church leaders, deacons, Sunday school teachers, this verse speaks to you and I. As leaders, we must rise up and embrace the change. We must let God stir our hearts to see what He would desire. We must be willing to go and rebuild. Change is hard. I've said this many times before. It's a a great quote from one of my pastors. It says, everything that's alive grows and everything that grows changes. And change causes pain every single time. It's going to be hard. There are things that are going to hurt. Even in our humility, letting go of things is going to hurt. But we must understand that in order to rebuild, we must embrace the change. Finally, we must embrace the culture. We must embrace the culture of the church. 
The culture of the church is an important thing. What defines us is an important thing. What is said about us, our reputation, is an important thing. Especially when it comes to rebuilding the walls. Look at verses 4 and 5 of Ezra chapter 1 again. And I find this, I find this striking. That this is coming from Cyrus, the king of Persia. That the culture that would envelop the next two books of the Bible, that culture would be developed by someone who was not part of the Israelite family. And let each survivor in whatever place he travels be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides free will offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the heads of the fathers, houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. There was a culture of rebuilding. Everybody understood, everybody knew, everybody grasped it. There was a culture that developed, that drove Ezra and Nehemiah to lead the, way, lead the way. I'm wondering what our culture is here at First Baptist. And as we go through the next few weeks, we will find out what our culture is. We will find out whether we are people of the Word or whether we're okay with shallow study. We'll find out whether we are people of the gospel or whether we're okay with hiring that out. We'll find out whether we're people focused inward or focused outward. What is our culture? Are we a church that believes in discipleship? That believes that evangelism is important? Are we a culture that believes that worship is vital? Are we a culture that believes that the Word of God stands above all else? Are we that culture? We'll decide. There's a warning here also against embracing the culture of the world. You see, as we set forth in the next few weeks to examine and determine and see what the Lord would have as as a vision for our church, as seeking out what He desires... As we pursue that, there's going to be plenty of the world that tries to creep in. There's going to be plenty of opportunities where we are faced with a decision between possibly what the Scripture would say and what would be easiest according to the world. There's going to be moments where we have to decide between what is holy and what puts people in the pews. There's a moment where we will have to decide between biblical true worship of God or entertainment value. There's a warning against embracing the culture of the world. You see, Daniel and the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
they all faced those issues. You see, when, when this had happened, when the exile to Babylon had happened, Daniel went and him and 12 other young men stood before a king and said, we will not eat the king's meat. But we will have this, for this is what is commanded of us. And God used them standing on their principles, standing on what they knew and believed to begin to change a nation through Cyrus, through Artaxerxes, and through Darius. The three Hebrew children were forced with the decision to bow to the altar of the graven image. If they did, they wouldn't have faced a fiery furnace. But you see, when you stand on the Word of God, He follows through on producing something fantastic. And we know the story from Bible school that those three men walked around in that furnace and a fourth man joined them. And they walked out unsinged. Why? Because of their faith that God knew what He was doing, that He had commanded them, and they were going to follow through on it. You see, to create a culture here means to exclude a culture that would try to influence us away from God. Ultimately, (laughs) ultimately, children of God would turn away once again. Yet again, influenced by the world. You and I must be willing to embrace correction, no matter how hard it is to hear. You and I must be willing to embrace the change. It's going to be change. Everything that's alive grows, and everything that grows changes. That's a good thing. And you and I must be willing to embrace a culture that is produced here that glorifies God and calls the dead to life. I hope that through the next five weeks that we will be excited about what God wants to do. That we will be excited about where He wants to lead and how He wants to move. Let's pray together. I know that today's message pointed heavily at the church I know that there may be lost people among us. There may be those who don't know Jesus among us. And this is my encouragement for you. The same God, the same God, very same God that brought about Jeremiah, that brought about prophets time and again, that brought about Ezra and Nehemiah because He loved His people. The same prophet Or the same God who sent prophet after prophet, man of God after man of God. 
to see that God's people would come through. That same God sent a Savior. Sent His only Son, Jesus, into the world so that He could call more people to Himself. God is the God of deliverance. And I'm going to tell you one thing right now. If you're here today and you've never entered a relationship with Jesus Christ, made Him your Lord and Savior, followed Him in believer's baptism, and pursued Him for the rest of your life, if you haven't done that, there's a God of deliverance waiting to have a relationship with you. There's a Savior who provided that way, who wants to embrace you in His arms. And so yes, the message was for the church today, but right now I'm speaking to you, lost person. God wants to deliver you from death into life, and He can do that this morning. All you need to do is that when we begin to pray, when we stand up and begin to worship, you make your way down here. You come find me. And we'll talk about how you can come to know Jesus. Christian, maybe you heard the word correction this morning and began to stir something and you know you're dealing with something in your life. You come to this altar or you stay right there in your pew and you get on your knees before the Lord and you figure out, hey, I receive this correction. I embrace this correction. I'm ready to move forward in rebuilding my life, in rebuilding this church. Church member, it's a tough road ahead. Are you going to stay in and commit? Are you going to listen to the Lord and allow Him to use you in the process? Deacon, are you going to rise up within this culture and set the precedence? Are you going to set the mark? Are you going to set the way? Sunday school teacher, are you willing to dive into where God would take us? Maybe you need to come down and pray and seek the Lord a little bit today. Father God, we know that You're among us. We know that You speak to us. God, and as we prepare our hearts for what You're going to have to say to us, God, I pray, I pray that You would be glorified, that souls would be saved, that the name of Jesus would be lifted high here. And also as we go out, God, that we would become people that are focused outward. God, I'm praying for you to do great things. You've done great things. We could tell time and time again of the great things that you've done here. God, we're asking you to return that. So that we may lift high the name of Jesus. So that we may glorify you in it. So that lost people would be found. Dead people would be made alive. So that hurting hearts would find healing. So that weary ones would find rest. God, we're praying that this become 
the place that you rebuild, the place that you dwell in. God, that we would not defile it, that we would not pollute it, that we would embrace you and not the culture of this world. God, we're praying for you to do incredible things. That's in your name I pray. Amen. Would you stand?